Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is the 10th of March, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Big shout out and thank you to Ryan Mitchell, who's been producing the show this week. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Mm -hmm. Deeply appreciate, uh, deeply appreciate you. For those of you wondering, yes, Paul Perot has been on a much deserved vacation this week, but we anticipate he'll be back on Monday with us as well. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. And let's keep in mind here, um, James is speaking to fellow Christians. This is, you know, there's some there's some passages of Scripture that are written to everybody, like, you know, they're sort of universally written. And then there's many parts of the New Testament uh, written to believers, written to fellow believers, written with the understanding that the person reading it and receiving it is a Christian. And so that's important to recognize. And we're actually going to circle back around to this. Um, it's not just an idea, this truth that when you quote scripture, when you speak words of scripture, particularly in public today, um there are lots of people listening who are not listening with ears that hear. So when Jesus would frequently say, you know, let those who have ears hear, it's because Jesus knew there were a lot of people who were listening who didn't have ears to hear, who do not have the ears of faith, who do not have a mind seeking the truth of the gospel, who do not possess the spirit or, or nor are possessed of the spirit of God. Like, so when you read passages of scripture and when you quote them to others, and there's a reason that I'm placing such an emphasis on this today. If you know what is going on uh, in West Texas and you know what has happened to the basketball coach um, at Texas Tech, then you probably already know where I'm headed with this. You can't just quote scripture um, to anyone in any environment and expect that you're going to be understood. In fact, you're more than likely to be misunderstood. And so let's seek to understand what God has said. Let's seek to receive it as believers and hear it with ears of faith. And then let's ask the Holy Spirit to um, enliven us, conform us to the reality of it. So James chapter one, verses two to four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's unpack this just briefly. Pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What? That's about as counterintuitive as a statement could be. Um, James is the writer here, but what he says here is echoed by the Apostle Paul in, uh, well, throughout his letters, but I'll just point to Philippians um, 
and the rejoice always refrain of that particular letter. Or if you want to point to the way Peter articulates the same point. So here, you know, you've got several gospel, uh, several New Testament writers declaring the same truth. Um, James talks about it here as considering it pure joy when you face trials. Paul talks about it um, throughout the book of Philippians, and I would commend that to you. Um, Peter talks about it in the first chapter of his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll pick up um, verses 6 to 9 here. In this you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while uh, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested and purified by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe and you trust in him and you greatly rejoice. Unassailable joy is the way Peter describes that. You delight with inexpressible and glorious joy, receiving as the result of your faith the salvation of your souls. So 1 Peter 1, 6-9 is a wonderful um, complimentary text to the verse of the day uh, here from the letter that James writes to the early church. Consider it pure joy, James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So let me just ask you, um, there's not a there's not an if ever, by the way, neither Peter, nor Paul, nor James, nor John, nor Jesus um, considered it possible for a person of faith to live an untested or untried life. It's just not possible. It doesn't happen. So whenever trials of many kinds come, not not if ever they come, but whenever they come, how do we respond? We face trials of many kinds. What are the many kinds of trials that you have faced in the past? And what are the many kinds of trials you're facing now? God has preserved you in the past, and God will preserve you in the, in the future. God will preserve you in the presence. That's the basis of perseverance, God's preserving power, God's preserving power. So let's persevere, and let's allow perseverance to finish its work of preserving us as people of faith, that we might be presented mature, growing up in every way into Christ who is the head, that we would be complete as James describes it. Peter puts it this way, receiving as the result, eventually the outcome, the consummation of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Um, wow. I'm not really sure what that song is supposed to lead me into. I don't know. I don't know. Headlines of the day. Uh, Friday Farm Report. Um, I'll just do this. I mean, I love lasagna and I don't like lasagna any better than like cold. Like leftover lasagna for breakfast. That might that might be um, one that I totally love. Okay, so um, we're going to get to the Friday Farm Report here in just a moment. Thank you for those of you that have been 
asking about the circumstances, <laughs> what's happening where I live. But I want to uh, hit a couple of headlines. Maybe let's um, maybe let's deal with the one that I just referenced a moment ago um, out of West Texas. So Mark Adams has stepped down as the men's basketball coach at Texas Tech. Um, so here's what happened. He was suspended on Sunday after the team's regular season finale. Um, that's when the athletic director was made aware that the coach had made, quote, inappropriate, unacceptable, and racial, racially insensitive comment to a player. It took place in the context of a private conversation between a coach and a player, during which Mark Adams um, made reference to, by quoting, by quoting um, a passage of Scripture. And um, you can imagine, just for a moment, that um, although this passage of Scripture is true truth, in the context of a conversation between a white coach and a black player, talking about a passage of Scripture that references workers, teachers, parents, and slaves serving their masters— could be viewed in today's cultural context as inappropriate, unacceptable, and racially insensitive. The coach has stepped down. Um, He's a Christian brother. Um, I am certain that uh, a lot has been learned in the midst of this. Um, It is absolutely true that this passage of Scripture is instructive for believers. I mean, there's no question about that, right? It, this is the word of God. Did God actually say it? Yes. In some cases, the things that God has actually said sound very different over the course of time and, and when used in different contexts. And there are passages of Scripture that are hard to understand if you're a mature Christian, let alone if you are a young person who is culturally informed and not operating out of a biblical worldview. So there's a context into which the word of God was originally spoken, and there is a lot of real estate between the days and places um, and worldview of the Old and New Testament and the American reality of 2023. Words, phrases, illustrations, Every single one of those require not only translation, but interpretation, the careful handling of the word of God. Quoting the Bible today can be, and my guess is often is, taken grossly out of context in more ways than you and I could probably begin to imagine. And so my encouragement today, well, first of all, let's be praying for um, this coach um, good basketball coach, good man, 66 years old, um, leaving not only the profession that he loves and the school that he loves, but um, trying to explain himself uh, in, in, in the midst of a very heated media environment um, where all of the worst things about you are assumed. So let's be praying for Mark Adams today. Um, let's also be mindful of how we handle the word of God. 
and let's do so carefully because it really is the word of God. And let's handle ourselves carefully because the days in which we live are hostile to the influence and the teaching of God. Let's guard our hearts and minds. Let's hold our tongues. Let's consider the wisdom of saying what we're inclined to say, even if it's a direct quote from the Bible. I don't want us to be stifled in our speech, but I do want us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as we approach the world as God's people today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at MyFaithRadio.com. Well, it is Friday, and so let's um, let's unpack the Friday Farm Report. Um, first of all, big shout out to everybody out there um, who is farming and whatever stage of um, tilling the soil or just waiting for uh, the spring thaw, um, procuring seeds, planning out the calendar. You know, the old farmer's almanac, I actually think there should be like a like a Christian version of it because I don't know if you've read one recently, but it's pretty much, you know, pretty, it's a lot of hooey. Um, and so uh, there you go. Um, this is not the old farmer's almanac. This is just Carmen's far- farmer's, farmer Carmen's almanac. <clears throat> there you go. So we are still dealing with the aftermath of uh, a really violent storm that passed through our region a week ago today. Um, we have lots of trees down. Most of our down trees are in the woods. I do, however, have a giant poplar tree um, in my front yard that my husband decided he would seek to save instead of allowing it to fall, which I'm glad he didn't allow it to fall because it certainly would have hit our house. Um, but now he's committed to preserving it kind of no matter what. And so it's currently, I'll use the word cabled, but it's not actually cabled. It is um, secured by these big, heavy ropes that actually are designed for tree work. Remember, my husband is a retired arborist. And so, yeah, he still has all like the, he's got, he's got all the stuff. He's got all the gear. And so in the midst of a power outage, um, trees down and wind blowing at gale force last Friday, he, um, secured this poplar tree. The The root ball was actually coming six to eight inches up out of the ground as the tree was, uh, you know, tipping in the wind toward our house. And he lassoed it and he secured it from a high point in the poplar to low points on um, a couple of sturdy oak trees. And so now, now the discussion <laughs> goes like this. Okay, so that's what he wants to do. He wants to cable it in that position. And I'm like, so just to be clear, I'm going to have big cables coming from that poplar tree from a high point in the poplar tree to a low point on these oak trees, like forever. Like, like it's going to look like, yeah, zip lines in my front yard. So we have a cabled tree in our backyard that looks like this, but it's way up high. It's, it's secured high point to high point. And apparently in order for this, tree to be appropriately safely uh secured it's going to have to be anyway so there you go pray for me because this is it's going to be an ongoing dialogue uh in our home 
I want to give a big shout out to Neighborly Neighbors. Neighbors um, were checking on each other, supplying for each other's needs. Um, one neighbor came by and said, hey, I don't hear a generator running at your house. Um, we've got an extra one. Do you need it? And we were just cycling ours on, you know, for about an hour every 12. Um, the taxidermist has uh, delivered. Um, I don't know if you remember the story from it's well over a year ago now. But I stepped out of my studio one morning to be greeted by a very large bobcat who we then came to understand was the reason that every time our chickens were uh, free ranging, one would disappear. And so we called it Bob the Cat. But in fact, it's Babette. And um, she has now returned from the taxidermist, which is an interesting reality. She was too beautiful to do anything else with. And now, of course, what do we do with her? So there you go. These are some of the things going on. Uh, in the Friday Farm Report. And yes, the buds are fat on lots of our fruit trees. Um, Our plum trees are already in full flower. And we have the threat of a freeze warning next week. So, you know, if you farm, you know, that's how it goes. It's literally always something. Let's hit a few um, international headlines here. Uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping has been awarded a third five-year term as that nation's president that puts him on track to remain in power for life. I mean, it's no surprise. uh, The National People's Congress of the Communist Party um, voted 2,952 to zero, ensuring that Xi Jinping would uh, remain in power. Uh, He has been the leader of of China's uh, Communist Party since 2012. Russia continues its assault on Ukraine. Yesterday was a particularly deadly day, and so we want to continue to lift up the people of Ukraine in prayer and ask God to bring peace where there is no peace. And in an act that came as a surprise to many, um, but I think demonstrates like a code of honor even among thieves, or in this case, criminal enterprises, a Mexican drug cartel uh, blamed for abducting four Americans, killing two of them, supplied a letter of apology along with the men responsible. Um, and they were uh, delivered, well, they were left to be discovered by and taken into custody by um, Mexican authorities, but they were left with the truck. So that white truck that you have likely seen in pictures or videos related to the abduction of these four Americans and the death of two of them, um, the truck uh, is now in uh, in the custody of the Mexican authorities, as are the men who the Scorpion faction of the Gulf cartel uh, say are the five men responsible. Um, They have uh, the Scorpion faction of the Gulf cartel has apologized to the residents of Matamoros, where the Americans were kidnapped. They have apologized to uh, the family of the woman who died in the cartel shooting. They have apologized to the four Americans and their families Here's uh, some of the language from the apology letter. We have decided to turn over those who were directly involved and responsible in the events who at all times acted under their own decision making and lack of discipline. The letter went on to read um, that these individuals had gone against the cartel's rules, which include respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. So what does that tell us about um, the worldview of those involved? Respecting the life and well-being of the innocent. I Just unpack that in your mind for just a moment. These are um, ranking members of a Mexican drug cartel. And they are talking about the respect that they have for life. 
They're talking about the cartel's rules, and they're talking about um, seeking to preserve the well-being of the innocent. There's a lot there to uh, to unpack. And maybe it's language that could be used um, in appealing to them that there are a lot of innocent lives in America being lost because of the drugs they're pumping into our system. Just a thought. Let's take a minute to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. What's in your pocket? Like, literally, what's in your pocket? Um, Now, this early in the day, if you're listening to this uh, conversation live, then it's possible nothing's in your pocket yet, unless it's like the pocket of your robe. Um, So I get that. But um, think, think about the way you inhabit the world today and the way most people walk through the world today and think about what is in our pockets Almost everyone has a smartphone in their pocket. And so here's the question. Is that electronic device serving you or have you become its slave? Is it a lamb in your pocket that you are the shepherd of or is it a wolf in your pocket devouring your life? So... You know, are are our smartphones making us smarter or dumber? Are they providing us more time because of convenience? Are they robbing us of time? Are they helping us to connect with people and build relationships? Or are they destroying our relationships and our ability to relate to one another and look each other in the eye and have very real conversations? I mean, supposedly they're making our lives easier and more manageable. Is that really true? Do you need to be liberated from the wolf in your pocket? We love talking with Chris Martin from the Terms of Service blog. He's the editor and editor for Moody Press um, and social media consultant. He literally, as of like two days ago, has a brand new book out, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the people you lead threatens us as well. Conversation with Chris up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Chris Martin. You know him. You love him. He's got a brand new book out, The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. Good morning and congratulations. Good morning. Thank you so it's, much, Carmen. It's the, I'm so it's glad. It's the closest thing. It's the closest thing men like ever experience to like bringing something new into the world. I mean, short of. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always hesitate it, to use the book, the book baby metaphor, uh, but but it, I mean, the, really, I mean, it is a good metaphor, you know, I mean, it's it's not obviously not as important and not as uh, significant or painful, depending on the author, I suppose, maybe it is as painful, but uh, it is a good metaphor, because yeah, you've labored for so long, it's been such a long process, and then finally, it's, it's here. So yeah, it's, it's fun. And, and it has a life of its own. Like, right. That's it now right. takes yeah. it now takes on a life of its own. People now engage with what you have written. Um, and uh, and that's exciting. So we want to engage with it this morning. Um, the world has changed a lot since the advent of the social Internet. I um, I have been pointing directly to the smartphone, um, Chris, as a as a place, as a thing, at least that people can ask themselves um, you know, how how is it serving me and how am I um, really captive to it and a slave of it? So talk with us about how things has, have changed because of the social Internet. That's where you're, you're the issue you're really addressing. And then I'd love to get into some of the ways um, that it's not only threatening the people that we lead, but the reverse approach that you take, which is, you know, like how to actually be liberated from it. Yeah, I mean, so much has changed because of social media, I suppose, and for, for good and for bad. Uh, and the social internet as a whole is just constantly reforming the ways we relate to one another. Um, and gosh, I don't know if I could, I don't know how I would summarize it, but it, it changes our relationship with social media and the internet more broadly changes how we think. It changes how we process information. Um, it, it whittles down discernment because part of it is we're, we're served up so much information so quickly when we're engaging online um, that it becomes very hard to take the time to slow down and be able to tell what's true and what's not. Uh, it changes our hearts. Social media changes our hearts. It changes our affections. Um, you can just see this and like see how your own purchasing patterns have changed based on your use of social media. How many times have you bought something that you like, oh man, I love I love that dress. I love that book. I love that whatever TV. Uh, I would love, I would, you know, we could really use a new TV. I didn't really think about it until I saw this Instagram ad about it, but we could really use one. And then you go buy one, whether it's that one or not, it, it inspires you to go buy one. It, so it changes social media can really change our affections. And that's maybe a more lighthearted, shallow example, but it can also deeply change our affections and in some maybe more dark ways of, uh, drawing us uh, closer to things maybe we shouldn't our hearts shouldn't be drawn close to and i think it, it can shape and change our souls it can change the nature of belief it can cause us to doubt or question our faith which i think there's a healthy measure of um and i think there's some there's some uh good ways that we can go about that because our our faith can handle doubt and can handle questioning it stands up to those things um, but it can lead us down various rabbit holes that can be very unhealthy um and so I think uh, the social internet really has changed everything. Our engagement with the media on the social internet, which we often call social media, um, has changed how we relate to one another, relate to our faith, relate to ourselves, how we think about ourselves. And I, I think, you know, as I write this book, and even with my last one, which we've talked about plenty, a lot of folks have, have asked, you know, are, are you like anti-social media? And the answer is mm -hmm. no. I, I think social media can be very constructive and can be very helpful and very good. I have made a lot of great, ignited a lot of great relationships with friends across the world on social media um, and, and have maintained some long distance friendships because of social media. But I think um, a lot of us are very good at looking at the benefits of social media 
and not very good at looking at the costs. And I think what this book is intended to do is to help those of us who are in positions of influence as leaders in our churches, pastors, parents, whomever, you know, if you see yourself as responsible for leading and and discipling people, which all of us should be to some degree, but you know what I'm saying? Um, Mm -hmm. This book is intended to help you disciple people in your life when you recognize that social media is discipling them more than any other force in their lives. And so this is really meant to be a tool to equip leaders. It's really, you know, it's a leadership and discipleship book more than it's even a social media book, frankly. So I would absolutely agree. Um, Addressing issues of what's enthroned in my life, um, uh, addressing the issues related to relationships, particularly friendships, but the issue of priorities, discernment, humility, peace, cynicism, authority, sex, um, anxiety, and uh, and even like mental challenges that I face beyond that. So, you know, what what's happening in my mind, um, what I receive and what I reject, and ultimately what I worship. Those are, um, for those of you wondering, those are the subjects that um, come up in the uh, the chapters of The Wolf in Their Pockets. We're talking with Chris Martin. He is the author of this brand new book. He's also our um, ongoing conversation partner when it comes to the social internet and social media. Um, and so let's, let's dig into a couple of these, Chris. Um, when we talk about the ways in which social media is threatening the people we lead, let me just go ahead and say, these are the ways that social media is threatening me. Like this is this is not just like a discipleship of others issue. This is a really good examination of of how social media and the social internet and frankly the the apps available. That's really the issue for me. How they rob me of so much time. Yeah, totally. And let me say um, you know, if if you're a regular listener, um, you know, you've maybe heard us talk about my previous book Terms of Service. And if th- there's these books are similar, but they're different. And I want to explain that because what the, the the topic you just hit on, frankly, if if you're someone who's listening, and you're like, man, I really, I'm grateful for a book that's about you know the relationship between social media and the people that I lead. But I could really you know, use examining social media and my relationship with social media myself. Well, frankly, that's what my previous book is all about. Like terms of service, I've described as like that's a mirror book. That's a book mm-hmm. where it's like, hey. Let's stand in front of the mirror. Let's say, what's my relationship with social media? What's it doing to me? And what should I do about that? Um, And that's kind of what the purpose of terms was, was to kind of like, hey, let's do some self-examination, some checking myself here about what what's my relationship with social media like. And I certainly throughout this, throughout the wolf in their pockets, encourage the leaders who are reading, hey, um, you always need to be checking yourself in this regard. Like you are not exempt from all of the things that we're talking about here. Um, and and I say that almost maybe once a chapter, at least many times throughout the book. Like you know, you're trying to kill cynicism among the people you lead that that have kind of become very cynical because they see all this negativity online. And that's a very common and often understated effect of spending time on social media. Is you can become cynical so easily. Hey, make sure you're checking your own cynicism. Like, are you cynical? Are you cynical because of your relationship with social media or even in general? It's going to be really hard for you as a leader to lead people out of their cynicism if you also find yourself to be, you know, very publicly and openly cynical all the time. And so I think it is important, whether you're reading this book, my previous social media one, or any other book to, as a, as a leader especially, make sure you're living out these 
sort of principles and the practical applications that I provide before you're trying to lead your kids to do the same. I mean, as an, as a very specific example, if you're a parent and you're trying to get your kid to spend less time on their phone or on Instagram, but then at the dinner table, all they see you doing is scrolling Facebook, you're going to have a really hard time leading them to spend less time on their preferred social media app. And like for good reason. Like they, why should, like you should get into your kid's head a little bit and, and think, yeah, why should my child listen to me regarding, you know, using Instagram at the dinner table if I can't even stop using Facebook at the dinner table? And so I think it's important for any leaders reading this book to make sure that they're living this stuff out themselves as they're not perfectly, like you don't need to be a perfect leader to lead people. You can be, but I think it's important to be open about, about, how you as a leader maybe struggle with your relationship with social media, even as you lead people to try to improve theirs. Chris, is there one of these that um, that we could unpack this morning a little bit to to dig in, to give people a sense of what's in here? Sure. Um, you know, I think build friendships is Good. one of the that's, that's number one of the three, by the way. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's that's... dig into let's dig into build friendships. Yeah, uh, build friendships is is chapter three, and and this is one that I've actually heard a lot of feedback on already from some of the early readers of the book, because that's kind of like social media is kind of marketed to be all about social, like building friendships. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us recognize that there is value there. Like, um, I main like I said earlier, like I maintain a lot of relationships with friends abroad through DMing on Instagram or Twitter, you know, things like that. Um, and it's it's nice, like social media is nice in my view. And people have, it should be said that people have different views on this, and this is just my perspective. Um, but I think social media is very helpful for maintaining friendships, whether with friends who have moved away or, or you know, things like that. Um, but I think social media is a very poor foundation for friendships. Um, and I, I don't think like I hesitate to call anyone I've only met on social media a friend um, mm-hmm. because there's only so much depth into which you can go. And I think social media has commodified friendship where, um, you know, we collect Facebook friends and LinkedIn connections and it makes it, you know, we we start to treat acts of engagement as acts of true affection. So like if somebody likes an Instagram post, oh, wow. They must like me as a person or they wish us happy birthday or or perhaps they don't wish us happy birthday on Facebook. And we're like, how could that person not wish me a happy birthday on Facebook? And we start to assign disproportionate value, uh, whether positively or negatively, to how we engage with friends and or family on on social media. I, I just think it's important that we not have this idea that our friends or family are obligated to engage with us on social media. Nobody's obligated to engage with anybody online. And I think it's important for us to do what we can in our own lives and in the lives of people we lead and disciple to encourage more incarnational offline flesh and blood friendships. Because I think ultimately those have much deeper roots and are ultimately, I I don't know how else to say it, are just more valuable. Um, Some friend you made on Facebook or on Twitter is probably not going to be able to show up to your house in the event of a tragedy or, or, Mm -hmm. or or celebration or celebration. And so I think it's important that we don't have to forsake connecting with friends and family on social media. I think that's all good, but I think for a lot of us that has sort of taken a a precedence that just because of time constraints can take away from much more valuable, worthwhile offline friendships. And I think part of it, and I'll, I'll stop here in a second. I think part of it is when we connect with people online it allows us to feel affection without the vulnerability of being fully known. 
And so I think one of the one of the draws of social media relationships is it allows us to decide how much we're going to share about ourselves and we don't have to let people in totally, but we can feel a a sizable feeling of affection and adoration from people. So we can feel people's love without feeling like we have to be totally vulnerable, like often comes with with more embodied friendships. And so I think that's why we're drawn to it. And I just think we need to be really careful because we might, we may be settling for sort of junk food relationships rather than healthy, full relationships. When we come back, we're going to talk with Chris Martin about why friendship actually specifically matters to Christians. What's the importance of specifically Christian friendships? And not only how has the social Internet warped our understanding of friendship, but how can we help those who we are discipling, who we are leading, um, recover um, real friendship? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All joy, no stress, no worries, I'm from early in the morning. We're talking with Chris Martin. We're talking about his brand new book, The Wolf in Their Pockets. Um, remember that you can find Chris and his Terms of Service blog um, on Substack. You can find the wolf in their pockets, 13 ways the social internet threatens the people you lead everywhere. Um, I will drop all the links in the show notes today. Um, We're talking uh, right now about building friendships as one of the 13 ways that social media threatens the people we lead and how we can um, lead our people in in ways that honor God and, um, and, and are for the good of one another. So we're talking about the importance of Christian friendship. What makes um, Christian friendship specifically significant, Chris? Yeah, you know, I think back to my time as a high schooler um, when I had as a close a group of friends as I've ever had. And it was in our high school youth group, um, and it was a great group of guys, all of which, all of whom I, I wish I could keep in closer touch with than I do. Um, but we what was so great about that group and this is something that's just so unique about christian friendship i think is among all of us that you know when i was i was you know thinking when i was a senior in high school um the group of us who would hang out and and spend time together were freshmen through seniors and we some of us were homeschooled some of us were at big public schools like myself some of us were at private christian schools uh, some of us were into sports and and different ones, some soccer, some baseball, some football, whatever. And some of us were definitely not into any sports at all. Some of us uh, loved video games. Some of us didn't. Um, some were band geeks or or just school geeks, uh, whatever. Everybody, some were popular. There were so many different kinds of people in this big group of friends that we had. Um, but it didn't matter how different our lives were and how different our interests were or how 
some of us couldn't drive and some of us were preparing for real life in the adult world. Um, because this, the unifying nature of the gospel and the fact that we all shared this foundational trust in Jesus as our savior brought us together despite all of those things. And we, we resolved conflicts because of that. You know, if we got on each other's nerves, we didn't just leave each other or say, I'm not your friend anymore. We resolved conflict because we knew we were called to because of our shared belief in Christ. And so I think there's just, there's a special nature to Christian friendship that maybe this sounds mean or bad. I just think non-Christians simply don't have access to. Like, I think there's this level of deep, of depth in friendship that Christians can have that's just really unmatched. And so I think it's so valuable, but scripture is clear. We're, we're not meant to be alone. The Christian life is not meant to be a solo sport. We're called to walk the narrow path of faith together so that we can keep each other from falling into darkness and sin and, and despair. Um, and I think Solomon uh, in scripture, there's so many passages uh, from Solomon's work, especially in Proverbs that talk about friendship and the importance of friendship. And I think it's so crazy and, and awesome that Solomon, who was unfathomably rich, had power over a nation, had an almost unmatched intimacy with God. Um, from, you know, from a modern human perspective, he had everything anyone could ever want. And yet, like, despite having all of that um, and wisdom that God gave him and, and all of these things, he was super interested in the importance of companionship and friendship. And he cared a lot about, he writes a lot about it in Proverbs, Proverbs 17, 17, 18, 24, 27, five and six, 27, 10. He writes about friendship regularly. And I think scripture is just clear that, that friends matter uh, for the Christian. And I think, and I think the church is, is somewhat responsible and leaders of the church are somewhat responsible for helping Christians make those connections and to be friends with one another. And I think, our relationship with social media can just kind of shipwreck that. And it's important for us as church leaders, parents to encourage the people in our care, the people we're trying to lead and shepherd into friendships with, with believers so that they can encourage each other, pick each other up and bear, bear one another's burdens. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the part of this chapter where you um, teach us like how, how to lead people to pursue real friendship Establish a culture of community that values everyone. Create intentional, low-stakes social environments. I want to really key in on that one, Chris, here in just a second. And tell good stories of great friendships. So they're all three really, um, really well-articulated. I'd love for you, because we have been noting recently um, here on the show um, all of the research in relationship to young women and young men there are no third places anymore where there are low stake social environments where people can just meet. Talk about the importance of creating intentional low stake social environments for the cultivation of real friendship. Oh, man, this is so huge. And your your third place discussion, I won't rehash it since it sounds like you've talked about it, but that's so important. Um, and the fact that they're that they seem to be kind of evaporating and perhaps just going virtual, um, a sort of facsimile of our former third spaces is a problem. And I think you're right. I think it's a huge factor in anxiety rates or or just diff loneliness and all of that. Um, create my instruction, my my practical application for churches to create low stakes, intentional social environments is you know sort of like pushing back against this idea that oh as a church leader i'm supposed to try to help my people build community we'll just have more men's pancake breakfasts and women's bible studies and retreats or or you know like formal programs and let me say all of that stuff is good I, i'm in favor of all of that 
But I think that can create a level of stress or formality that comes that can kind of maybe hinder more organic social involvement and social connection. And so I'm I'm in favor of churches doing whatever they can to just facilitate more casual come and go, not you know events that aren't even necessarily events, but are just like gatherings that happen outside of the building, the church building or, or however you guys meet. Um, I think my church does this very effectively. I think this is all about building a, and I'm saying that as a member of my church, not a, not like someone who does it. So I'm not patting myself on the back here. Um, but I think the leaders of our church do this very well, where we encourage, um, people to gather together for board game nights or to go to Mm -hmm. each other's kids soccer games or to get together to just simply have dinner with one another not around any formal curriculum or again in the church building just get together spend like be in front of each other's faces in whatever form that takes and i i advocate for you know my wife grew up in the in the greek orthodox church and um when we were first dating i was able to go to a handful of services in the Greek Orthodox church. And what they had in in that, in her church was they had, they still had the old school church coffee hour, which um, some people listening, maybe your church still has that. And if so, that's, that's awesome. Um, But a lot of churches kind of gotten rid of the church coffee hour between, you know, between Sunday school hour and big church hour, or however your church maybe does it that, that you remember growing up or even still today. And I think the church coffee hour, even though it kind of breaks my rule of it's set in the church building, the church coffee hour is kind of what I mean. Like, there's no expectations in the church coffee hour. Like, you know, this family's bringing donuts this week. This family's providing the coffee, whatever. But you're just hanging out. You're talking. You're catching up on what's going on in each other's lives. There's no, and now we're going to have a speaker or, and now we're going to have this workshop. No, none of that. Just try to get in front of each other's faces, talk to one another, be with one another. Um, I, I think that kind of thing is great. I think church is establishing maybe like a fellowship team. This is a kind of, off the wall idea I had. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's in the book now. So I guess we're stuck with it of like, maybe a church sets up a group of people that are kind of like deacons and they're mm-hmm. just kind of networkers within the church. We're like, Oh, you're a new mom. Who's kind of struggling with being a new mom, but you don't know this other new mom. Let me connect you to, you know, this is maybe even more important, like a larger church. Let me connect you to who don't know each other, not through some mom's program on Friday mornings that you may or may not be able to come to, but let me just give each other your phone numbers so that you can get coffee together sometime when you can both work it into your schedule. So I think a sort of like connecting team like that is just incredibly important in, in building fellowship in the local church. Yeah, there's like the sinews in the body of Christ. We need um, we we need more and more amplification of them. Chris, we're um, we're out of time. We're celebrating with you. I have been specifically praying Ephesians three fourteen to twenty one over you um, as you approach all the conversations related to this book. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith. Click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.